The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, hello, everybody, and as you have already heard, welcome to BCA. If we have not had the opportunity to meet before, my name is Caleb, and it is my honor and privilege to get to serve as the youth pastor here at BCA, and to have the chance today, oh, thanks. I feel like, I feel like they just do it to throw me off, because they know I can't handle noise very well. Now, here is the thing. I am so glad to have the opportunity to bring the word today, to be able to close out our series on the fruit of the Spirit and ultimately helping kind of cap off our grand collection, talking about living, loving, and leading like Jesus. But really fast, really quick, I would not be a good youth pastor if I did not pause for a moment just to say thank you to all of you as a community, whether you are in here in the worship center in our tradition service or gathered with us online today, I want to say thank you. Because we are a church that has shown that we do not just value youth and kids through our actions, through moments of serving, but we've also shown it through our generosity. And this last summer, this last winter, we got to enjoy a number of amazing youth camps and that sort of a thing. And can I just tell you, we have a number of families, a number of students who camp was made possible through the amazing generosity of this church family. And that's what we believe we are, that we're a church family. That we're not just a bunch of individual family units that just gather together for random worship services and classes, but that we are a true community who's leaning in together. And when there's moments that somebody looks and says, hey, I need some help, we look and say, I got your back. And so today, I just want to say thank you, since I might not get to for a little bit of time. And along with that, I also just want to remind you, if you feel led to support youth, you feel led to support our camps, things like that, it's always an opportunity to give. And again, I wouldn't be a good youth pastor if I didn't throw that out there, just at least for a moment. But with that being said, if you feel led to give, thank you so much. If you don't, please pray for the students, because they can always use it. Now, with that being said, with me getting that little spiel out there and all of that, today we are closing out our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I love getting to be the young guy that gets to talk about self-control. Because I feel like, stereotypically, When you think of self-control and who probably has the least self-control, it's usually young men, if we're being honest. Where we would look and say, who should we have talk? It's like, we should have Pastor Rob talk on this. Somebody who's walked through it, who's got some character, integrity, some years behind it. But you get me. So we're going to see what it looks like a bit today. Not based off what I have to say, but truly based upon what we see outlined in Scripture. And that is because today we are looking at the final piece, the final part of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, we do not believe that the fruit of the Spirit is a number of fruit. We believe that it is a singular fruit that we look in when we look to Jesus and we say, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross, rose from the grave, that you defeated death, hell, and the grave, and you have paid the price for my sins, that we are deposited with the gift of the Holy Spirit. That when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's like a seed in our lives that needs to grow. And as we create the conditions for it to grow, we see certain things then be produced, and that's the fruit. And today, within that fruit, we're looking at the part that is self-control. Now, I have to just give like a forewarning, a little bit of a warning to you. The last few weeks, we've gotten to hear many very encouraging messages, and I hope today you be encouraged, but I might be just a little bit of oil in the midst of the water today. 
Because I hope that first and foremost today, you may not be encouraged, but I hope you be challenged. I hope you be challenged to lean in when it comes to this idea of self-control. When it comes to this idea of having the core of the fruit of the Spirit be strong and well. So in the end, I hope you're encouraged. But I hope at some point today you might be a little challenged. Maybe I step on your toes a little bit, but we can still be friends in the end. Sound good? Cool. Well, if it doesn't, I still got the mic and some time, so we're going to roll. All right. Now, when I speak on self-control, or anyone could get up to speak on self-control, there is a number of routes and avenues that we could go down to see what it is and what it could be like and that sort of a thing. But I would say the way that you most likely want to hear me talk about self-control is by hearing about the severe addiction that I struggle with multiple times a week, wasting hundreds of dollars a year, causing slight health complications, the whole deal. Like, I mean, I will extend my commute by 30, 40, 50 minutes just to be able to have a small amount of joy brought to me by this. This vice that I'm talking about is jelly belly jelly beans. We're not talking about $1 jelly beans that you throw in a bag. No. Top tier, high grade, $5.25 a bag at the height of inflation, jelly beans. We're talking about the perfect sugar to flavor ratio. The jelly beans at the end of a long day when you're a little stressed and tired and worn out, you just start to eat them and life just kind of melts away. You feel a little better after you have them. Now, here's the deal. I calculated it up and I literally spend probably almost $300 a year on jelly beans. It's a problem. Hey, honey, we need some new car tires. Sorry, the jelly bean fund is not going away. That kind of a thing. Now, I will say, last year, I got to tell you guys about how God used this bad thing in my life, this jelly bean addiction, to maybe save my life in the sense that one day, I was driving home from work, and I decided to extend my commute to get some jelly beans, and I drive my truck into the Safeway parking lot, and my brake lines burst, blow out. All the brake fluid goes on the ground, rolled into a spot perfectly, threw it into park, and looked and was like, thank the Lord for jelly beans. Because if I wasn't going to Safeway to get these jelly beans, I would have been going downhill 60 miles per hour into a stoplight trying to hit my brakes, and I would not have stopped because I was trying to. I would have hit something. Here's the thing. Jelly beans for me might be my vice. and might be a little bit of where I struggle with self-control. I got no control with them. But we all got some things that we lack control of in our lives. We all got some things that maybe you'll take a little extra drive to go pick up or maybe things that'll slip out of our mouths, maybe things that we end up saying, doing, things like that where we look and we say at the end of the day, I don't have control over it. It's just, it's just a part of me, whatever it may be. We all have things that we lose control over. But you see, the call of the Spirit is to have self-control. The call of the Spirit is now self-control. Now, why is this self-control needed? Well, for myself, I believe that, the self, that self-control is the core. If we're imagining a fruit, it is the core that the rest of the fruit can grow off of. If we look at the fruit of the Spirit and you don't have self-control, well, hey, Jesus, I want to have more patience. Well, you need self-control to be patient. Jesus, I want to have some peace. Well, you need to have enough self-control to wait for the peace. Hey, Jesus, I want to be able to be a gentle person. Take some self-control to be gentle. This is the core at which we look and see God move and work and see the rest of the fruit be able to grow. I think it's the reason why it's the last one listed. 
Think about it. When you end up hearing a long list of things, the final thing you hear is often the one that you at least can remember the most. Self-control is the core of the fruit of the Spirit. It is this core that holds it all together. It's vital and it's necessary. Now, when we talk about self-control, then how does this actually look so we're not just talking about jelly beans for 30 minutes? Well, today I believe that there are three core areas of self-control, three core areas for self-control that we can identify, that we can look at, and if we start to persist in developing, we will see the fruit of the Spirit grow more intentionally in our lives. And so today, I'm going to walk us through those things. Before I go any further, I'm just going to take a moment, and I'm going to pray. Join me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the reality that as we gather in your presence, you do not just meet us in a passive way, but you meet us in an active way. That, Lord, as we gather right now, your Holy Spirit wants to prepare our hearts, whether we walked in here knowing you or not, to be able to receive and to hear. So, Lord, I pray for each of us as the word is being spoken, as we look at what you have to say in your living word. God, may you change us. And God, may you encourage us to know that you have given us strength to, yes, have self-control. In your name, amen, amen, amen. All right, three areas for self-control. We've got to start with number one then. The first one, what is it? Action. Three core areas for self-control. The first one, action. For this one, let's look to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Interesting church. If you want some church history, probably didn't have a lot of good self-control within them. We look at this, they say this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. And make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So here's the reality. The Apostle Paul, he's looking in this moment and he's telling people, you know what? You need to be intentional. What do you got to do? You got to get this thing in control. Get in control of it. Why? So that you can walk in the fullness of what God has called you to. So you can walk in the fullness of what he has for you. So you can stand before him and look and say, God, I have done well. When it comes to our actions, we have a pretty good example approaching us right now. We're in preseason for football. Football season's about to be here. And I think it's a great example for self-control in our actions. Because there's a reality that we're going to get to have a lot of different memories for us as Seahawks fans. We're going to have a lot of memories of tears as we see loss after loss get racked up. And we just pray for the draft and that we don't mess up and trade away a first round pick again. We just will sit there waiting to see what's going to happen. Now there's a lot of memories we can make. And maybe there'll be a couple plays where we look and say, DK Metcalf, he did deserve that extension and that sort of a thing. But there's also moments and there'll also be some memories made this season, I'm sure across the league, of plays that are made that are not somebody playing with self-control, but are actually violent plays, are plays that people will look and they will say, that was not a football play, that was a violent play, where it leads to you looking and being concerned for the fact that that person may be hurt, the person they hit may be hurt, and maybe you don't trust them to play the game anymore. Why? Because they're playing out of control. Because they're not playing with self-control to win the game. They've lost all sense of what is happening. And you look and what happens. The league, they have enough 
sense to say, hey, if you're playing without control, guess what? You're out of the game. Because you need to have control. Why? Because they're dangerous. They're dangerous to themselves and they're dangerous to those around them. You see, when we go through life, we have to realize that for us to win at life is to operate with control. Is to operate with an amount of looking to God and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? And I will operate within that because we want to be in control. For being honest, a person in general living without control in their actions, they're a dangerous person. Now you might be thinking, that's a little extreme, but can we just be honest? Danger might, yes, have degrees to it. But you could look and you could see somebody where they do not have control in their lives. They're no longer dependable. You show up somewhere and all you're wondering is, man, what are they going to do? You walk in the room and maybe at worst you're on edge to be around them. Why? Because you can't trust the things that are going to be produced out of them. Whereas when you see someone who has self-control of their actions, you walk in the room and what do you have? You have an amount of ease. You have an amount of trust. Why? Because you can look with certainty and believe that they will do the right things that are going to take place. You see, with people, can, can I just be honest for a moment? There are times that we go to God and we say to God, God, give me peace. We go to God and we say, God, give me joy. We go to God and we say, God, help me, help me to honor you to live a life that's going to see great things happen. God, may you bless me to help people be led to Jesus. We go to God with whatever it may be. But we have no self-control to wait and see him actually move in that area. We don't have enough self-control to wait and see what he was going to do. You might have moments you go to God and you say, God, give me joy. God, give me peace. God, give me comfort. God, I can't handle the things I'm walking through. And you know what? For me, it might be a silly bag of jelly beans or maybe some other things. Maybe for you, it's going to God and you ask him for things. And what do you turn to? You might turn to a bottle. You might turn to something that you're able to take. You might turn to your phone at night. You might turn to distractions. You might turn away from the relationships that help build you up. You turn to things where you've gone to God and with your actions, you've looked to him and you have said, God, can you help me? But then with your actions, what are you saying? God, never mind. I'm going to help myself. God, never mind. I don't actually want what you had. I'm just going to seize what I can right now. Our actions matter. Why? Because our actions bring us closer to God and they also help others to see that we're somebody who can be trusted, which means what? That Jesus can be trusted. We're his hands and feet. We need our actions under control. That's the first one. Second one, our word. Actions, words. The things that come out of our mouth. Psalm 34, verses 11 to 14, it says this. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And James 3, 6 says this. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. We need to have self-control of our words. I love the fact in this psalm it looks, and what does it say? It says, I will teach you how to fear the Lord. The Caleb version, I'll teach you to fear the Lord. Watch your mouth. Why? Because every idle word shows if you truly care down to the smallest thing you do if you fear the Lord. If you care about walking near to God, even in the smallest of moments. 
even in the littlest of jokes, in the quickest of words, do you care about honoring God? Do you care about representing him to those around you? There's a lot of people I talk to from time to time, and there'll be moments they'll just kind of speak to the reality. It's like, hey, why, why, like, why would we talk certain ways? Why would we speak certain ways? When, what's the main reason I'm appearing? Well, you know, I'm just a real person. I just want to be real. I just want, they get me. Can, can I just, again, I want to be a little bit of oil in the water today. We are not called to be real and relatable. We are called to be holy and set apart. What does it mean to be set apart? Yeah, you're going to look different. You're going to walk in a room and people are going to hear the difference. You're going to walk in a room and they might even be rubbed a little the wrong way because you're not quite like them. Why? Because you are holy and set apart. You're not real and relatable. Jesus calls us to step into the room and help point people closer to him through his love, through the way that he's called us to be. And guess what? Being different means to be noticeably different. It doesn't matter if your closest friends get you. It doesn't necessarily matter what the inside jokes may be. It doesn't necessarily matter the things that you may be comfortable with within your family unit, within your friend groups, and things like that. Maybe those have just become excuses to not have to have self-control in every moment. We have to have control of our words. I remember one time when I was in high school, my senior year, for about two and a half years, I didn't really live for Jesus. I was honoring God in a lot of areas of my life, and one of those ways was the words that came out of my mouth. And so I had things and jokes and stuff like that that I was very comfortable to say when I was around my teammates. And one day, we were out at practice, and I just remember that one of my teammates, they're just joking about some stuff, things like that. And I wasn't even necessarily looking at him saying, hey, can you stop talking like that? Don't do that. I wasn't trying to push a conviction onto him in that moment. I was just walking in my conviction. And so I wasn't joking back the way he would have liked, and I wasn't saying the things he would have liked. So he kind of started to get a little upset, a little irritated. He's like, Caleb, what, what's going on, man? Do you think we're, and he starts to just spout off all these things out of frustration because I wasn't talking the way I used to. And I remember one of my other teammates who he knew a little bit more of the depth of what I was walking through and he spoke up for me instead of me even having to defend myself. He just looked and said, he just doesn't talk like that anymore. Don't you get it? And he looked and he started to speak to the reality. Yes, my words were something that had changed, but he was speaking to the reality that in my heart something had shifted. And so my friend, who did not follow Jesus, who did not have a conviction to follow the Lord, saw his friend who had been one way, saw God encounter him in a real way, and it might have just been my words, but they looked and said, I'm going to defend that. Why? Because it was genuine. It was out of a real heart for change. You see, if you struggle with your tongue, I don't want you to hear this today as if it's like, wow, such a terrible person or anything like that. I just want you to hear today the reality that God has called us to be set apart in every area that we are able so if you're willing, if you are able, I believe that you can ask God, say, God, can you help me in this area? To look and to say, yes, every idle word, it does matter. It can represent him. We doing good? All right. I still got the mic, so even if we're not, we're going. First thing, actions. Second thing, words. Third thing, spirit. Here's the thing. In our faith, we have to have self-control, control over our spirit. When I say spirit, I'm talking about our walk with God, our walk with Christ. Oh, man, in faith, it can be so easy to get comfortable. In faith, it can be so easy to get content. Whether you've been following Jesus a week or for 50 years, it can be easy to grow comfortable. But can I just tell you in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it says this. What shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, in our lives, we are called by Jesus to step closer to him, to grow closer to him, to be more like him, not make excuses to be where we've been at. We are called to step closer and walk closer to Jesus. Can I just encourage you today, be disciplined in your prayer. Be disciplined in your Bible reading. Be disciplined in your gathering together with a community, a body of believers. Every time you let that be deteriorated, every time you let something like that slip, it's not saying that one time of missing reading your Bible, I have that happen. It's not saying that you're a terrible person for it, but you have to realize that it's starting a trend. And where is that trend going to lead? It is the breaking down of discipline. The breaking down of self-control. Every time we end up having that be deteriorated, we have to look and we have to rather say, maybe you're tired, maybe it's been a long day, whatever it may be, you have to look and say, God, I need to talk to God, I need to hear from God, I need to gather with others so that we can worship. Might step on toes, but here's the reality. There are some of us where we go to God and we say, God, I want to see breakthrough in my life. God, I want to see things take place. But church is missed because of long Saturdays and weeks that were a little bit tiring. Bible readings missed because it is no longer the living, active word of God. It is a book that we read out of tradition and ritual. Prayers are only said before bed because it's not really talking to God. It's just something we think we need to check off the list. But when we look and say, God, I'm going to have self-control, it is us looking and it is saying, God, I need to gather with others so I can be filled up. It's us looking and saying, God, I need to read your Bible because we believe the audacious statement that the Bible is not just a book written by men, but it is the living word of God active for you to hear from him today. Looking and believing that prayer are not just mystical things thrown up in the air, but it is a moment where you get to talk to the creator of the universe. and You get to draw near. You see, there's times where our spirit and our soul, they might feel empty, they might feel dry, it might feel like nothing's going on, and we end up turning to other sources. But can I just remind you of something? If you were to have a plant that has started to die, it started to wither, guess what? It takes time for the water to reach the roots and to go from the roots and shoot up. So there might be times that you've looked and you said, Caleb, 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 I tried that. I tried having self-control with reading my Bible. I tried to have self-control with prayer and things like that. For two weeks, I didn't miss a day, but I still felt like, let it have time. Because if you've gotten to the point where it's dry, it takes time for those things to take root. But you look and you say, what? I will have self-control to be filled up. I will have self-control to stay disciplined. You see, in our lives, I believe that we're called, once we've started to follow Jesus, to something simple. It's in Romans 12.1. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, for us, as people, we have to acknowledge the reality. It's a simple reality. That to surrender something is to give something, and to do that, you must have control of that thing. Let me explain that. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. If I walked into the church, and I looked and said, I'm going to take Jacob's money and put it in the offering, there's something wrong here. It's not my money. 
I don't have possession of it. I don't control that money. So if I walk in and I say, I'm going to give that as a sacrifice, as an offering, it's not mine to give. Now this is not a determination or distinction of what God has done to you. What God has done to you is if you have looked to Jesus and you have said, God, I want to follow you, I want to serve you, I believe in you. Then in a moment, God, despite anything you've ever done or could do, he has looked to you and he has given you salvation. That's what he's done to you. This is a question of what will you allow God to do through you? This is not you working for your faith. This is you saying, God, how far could my faith take me? So the simple reality then is if we are called to be a living sacrifice, the thing that you are telling God you will sacrifice, you must have ownership of, you must have agency of, you must have control of. So if you go to God and you say, God, control my actions, but you live out of control, you don't have the right to give it. Because you haven't taken control of what you're trying to surrender. But rather in a moment when you look and you say, Jesus, I'm taking this back and I surrender it to you. And you walk in self-control with agency. It's crazy because God chooses to partner with us. He doesn't make you a puppet on strings and walk you around. No, he looks and he makes the hard decision of giving relationship. And he looks and he says, what will you do? I love it. The fruit of the Spirit is not control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's not that if the fruit of the Spirit grows up in us, then God will just grip you and seize you and he will make you do what you need to do. It's that he will give you the strength so that you can do what he has called you to do. Bottom line of today, as we begin to wrap up, is just this simply. Self-control brings powerful encounters in God's presence and with people in the world. When you draw close to God, you'll have powerful encounters just to make sure this is so, so clear, because I don't want anyone to be getting confused about what I'm saying. I want you to think about it this way. For myself and my wife, there was a day that we got married. There was a wedding ceremony, family around, people around, we celebrated. In that moment, there was a commitment made. And that commitment is unchanging. And within that commitment, the moment we said, I do, was the moment it was sealed. We are married The moment that you look to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to serve you, is yes, the moment you receive the seed of the Holy Spirit that he was planted inside of you. But every day I have to choose to lean in and invest in my marriage. So I could be married and not be a good husband. I could be married and not be a good participant. My wife, she loves me, cares for me, all of these things. But if I don't choose to lean in and set aside time where I look and say, honey, you matter, I will not experience the fullness of that relationship. So in our walk with God, the reason we need self-control is because, yes, you've said I do. But don't be an absentee partner in the process. Have enough self-control. There's moments... This isn't a bad thing to say. There's moments maybe where Sierra's looked and she's been like, hey, I just would like to have a date night. We go out and do something. I look and say, all right, all right, okay. Tomorrow night we'll go do it. And then she's like, well, I didn't want you to want to do it because I told you to. I just wanted you to do it. That's the beauty of self-control. Is it's a moment of us looking to God just as a spouse would look to their spouse and they would say, I just want to do it because I want to, because I want to be with you. I want to be near to you. Self-control is the agency for us to look to God and say, God, I'm not watching my tongue 
because you told me I have to. I, I just want to honor you with it. God, I'm not watching my actions because you told me I must do it so that I, no, I just want to. God, I don't gather for church or read my Bible or pray out of obligation or necessary spiritual practice. I do it because I just want to be near to you. That's self-control. It's not a burden. It's a moment of freedom in our relationship. For this then, if you're a practical person, here's the simple call, the simple action that you can take. First is watch your tongue. Second, watch your actions. Third, watch your God. These three areas, I truly believe if you watch them, you keep your eyes on them, you will start to step into greater self-control. And maybe for the first bit of time, it's evaluation. You're starting to watch your tongue and you look and you say, whoa, I've been saying some more stuff than I thought. And it starts to evaluate, God, do I need to start surrendering some of these things? You start to evaluate your actions. You start to evaluate, God, am I going, am I watching you to go the path that you have called me to go? Or am I just going wherever I want to? You see, how we speak, where we're going, and who we are looking to will lead us. And we simply just miskeep our eyes on Jesus. Self-control is not a burden. Please hear this today. It's not a burden. It's a point of freedom. We do not serve a God that looks at us and says, I will force you. He looks and says, I will invite you. And as he invites you, he's inviting you into a moment of freedom, of leaning in and saying, God, what do you have for us today? So with that being said, I just want to lead us in a moment of response, in a time of worship. And today, if you're watching in the chapel right now, you guys are going to have your worship team come forward, your host pastor come up. They're going to lead you in a moment. A moment of surrender, of leaning in to self-control. A moment of saying, God, what are the things you are calling me to give strength to, to lean into today? And if you're watching online, you can just simply join us and you can list any prayers you may have for Pastor Sierra to be able to respond to. But today, if you're in the worship center with me, if you could just stand to your feet. I gotta be honest with you, being a youth pastor, Youth pastor habits, they die hard. So I want to lead us through a moment of response that is just simple. I want to ask if you can just close your eyes and bow your head. It's not any more spiritual. It's not going to make it so that the spirit's able to like float. It's a moment of privacy. For each, every single person, just to know this is a moment between them and the Lord, them and Jesus. Now today when we talk about self-control, when we're talking about surrender and this sort of a thing, it might be something silly like jelly beans. Or it might be something as serious as whatever is on your mind right now. Maybe it was an area when I was talking through that maybe your toes felt a little stepped on. Maybe it's something in your life that you're not willing to tell anybody about. Maybe it's an action that you're pretty ashamed of that's become a common occurrence in your life. Maybe it's something that genuinely, if God was to look at you and say, you need to leave that right now, you would potentially consider not walking away from it. Because it has gotten control over you rather than God. So with every eye closed, head bowed, I just want to give a simple invitation. And when I count to three, it's a moment for you to raise your hand. It's a moment between you and the Lord of just saying, God, right now, imagine as if you're taking that thing you want to surrender and you're handing it up to him and he's going to take it out of your hand. And it's a moment where you're looking and saying, God, I want to hit the reset button. I want your strength 
so I can have control again. Today you're saying, Jesus, I'm taking back control. Jesus, I'm surrendering these things to you and I will start to take control of my actions of my words and my spirit. If that's you, just raise your hand on the count of three. One, he wants to partner with you. Two, it's a great thing. Three, if that's you, just raise a hand. Jesus, I'm surrendering these things to you. Jesus, I'm taking back. Jesus, I'm going to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing in your eyes. Jesus, I surrender it to you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Lord Jesus, we just pray right now for every uplifted hand, God, every acknowledgement and reality that there are things we need to take back and take control of, God, not for us to have, but so that we can look and in turn, we can surrender it to you, Jesus. So God, whatever it may be, God, whether it be idle words, addiction, things people struggle with, a lack of value for their faith, whatever it may be, God, I pray right now that you don't just look to them and say, do better, but God, you look to them and say, let's do this together. That God, you fill them with a strength and a peace and a joy to realize and recognize the fact that you are doing great things and you wanna move and work through them. Jesus, go ahead of us. May we surrender to you more and more. In your name, amen, amen. For just a few moments, whether you raised your hand or not, join us in worship. Let's go to God right now in a response of praise and surrender to him what we need to surrender.